0: Good morning. Please join me in reading 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body Then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. This is the word of God to us this morning.
1: How many of you love, like really love watching a football game with die hard fans? Okay. A little bit more confident, okay? Diehard fans don't like how many of you love watching a football game with die-hard fans? Hands up. Okay, good. Yeah. I'm definitely in your number, okay? If you don't know what that experience is like because you've never had that experience, let me just fill you in a little bit. All eyes are glued to the screen. Okay? Everybody wants to hear what the announcers are saying, not what you're saying. Which means what? There shall be no side conversations going on during said football game. There shall be no reading books or doing email or anything else that takes your eyes away from the glorious TV screen. Right? Isn't that what it's like? So what do you do when you're watching a game with diehard fans? You, you jump up and, presuming you're physically able to do that, and high-five each other every time you score. You holler at who? The refs, Exactly! Whenever they penalize your team, it doesn't matter if it was deserved or not, it's wrong. You grieve when one of your guys is injured. You cheer when the other team has to punt. Um, That's a, never mind. (laughs) You know what I mean? I I think I, I was thinking back to the Super Bowl at the end of the 2017 season when my Eagles trounced the Pats to win it all. And at risk of getting distracted and not preaching the word, you should know that for that three, four hour period of time, I didn't have my garment on, but I think my heart rate was significantly elevated because I was totally engaged. It was thrilling. It was exhausting. We finally did it. Except we didn't do anything, right? The 53 members of the team blocked, punted, and ran their butts off for 60 minutes while I ate chips, right? And watched from the comfort of a climate-controlled living room. So you have 53 people who were very active, And you had, I don't know, a hundred, what is it now, like a hundred million people who sat on a couch. So we attended the Super Bowl, you know, through our TV with the help of our couch. (laughs) But we definitely didn't participate in the Super Bowl. Well, I think as followers of Christ, there's an illustration here, we... Many of us love and enjoy being part of a healthy, vibrant, growing church. We love that. We, we, we talk about how our church is doing, how our team is doing. But all of that emotional identification can mask the fact that sometimes we're doing little more than attending a meeting where we watch other Christians preach and pray and sing and give and fellowship. Just like the Super Bowl, we can do that. And sadly, when I chat with other pastors, and I have dear friends in this area, they often tell me, Matthew, you know what? It's a small handful of faithful members who are doing 90% of the work of ministry in this church. And the rest of the people are just kind of along for the ride. They're not complaining. They're just speaking the truth. And even as I say that, I- I'm compelled to say this. I am deeply, deeply grateful, friends, that by and large, that has not been my experience in this church. Okay? Okay? It's not been my experience in this church. This, this congregation is filled with men and women who have faithfully owned and done the work of ministry here for decades. Amen? Yeah. We stand on their shoulders, including this guy. But, but, but as I recently shared with our staff team, we meet regularly as a team, and, and I I have a concern, and I share this, as some of our long-standing members grow older. (laughs) I have a concern, as the Lord brings us out of what has largely been, uh, in some ways, a decade of church life marked by crisis, right? And into a new season of prosperity. I, I hope you can feel that. I sense that. I'm We don't deserve that, but we see the Lord doing that. And with that, there's often less of a felt need, of course, to have all hands on deck. So I share this with you, not not as a rebuke, okay, but as a warning. I want to warn you as your pastor at this point in our church life, but I will freely say That if as I preach God's word, the spirit of God uses the word of God to bring conviction to your heart, I will be praising God. (laughs) Okay? That's what he loves to do. He disciplines those he loves. But I'm going to warn you today because I see the selfishness that lingers in my own heart. The selfishness that cropped up and created a big old conflict with my boys last night that I had to go back and ask for their forgiveness for. Selfishness lingers in our hearts, right? No matter how long you've been following Jesus. And I see that, and I see the changing seasons in our church, and I'm concerned that we could become spiritually passive when it comes to doing the work of building up this congregation. Notice I'm not saying we have. What am I I saying? Warning. Warning. I have a concern that we could. We could content ourselves with all the good feelings that come from being part of a happening congregation. You know? When in reality, if we're honest, we're actually part of nothing more than a group of attendees. In a sentence... That is so not what God intends the local church to be, right? Does God intend the local church to be a pile of attendees that get an emotional high out of watching like an Eagles fan, 53 people do the work of ministry? No way. No way. A passive church member is an oxymoron. Ephesians 4.15, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together, listen, by every joint with which it is equipped, when what? Each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There is no category in scripture anywhere for a Christian who attends a weekly meeting and does nothing to build up the health of that body. Period. You won't find it. So while sports games are fun, but for most of us, entirely passive, not so the Church of Jesus Christ. Not so. It's it's not a meeting we attend. It might be for you right now, but that's not God's design. It's a gathering in which we participate. So how do we participate? What's up with this Sunday Matter series? We're talking about how we participate. Well, we participate through the preaching of the word by doing what? Active listening, not sleeping when I'm preaching. Watching you, Wazowski. We participate when someone's praying. We've already prayed this morning a lot, right? By doing what? Taking a break. Checking out. No. By agreeing and affirming what that person is saying. So we're praying with them, not spectating. Right? We participate by bringing the material wealth God's entrusted to us and giving generously to support the ministry of the gospel, but, but there's a final category of participation, and that 's the right word that I wanted to address at the conclusion of this Sunday Matter series and it 's a really important one because it matters not just on Sunday but throughout the entire rest of the week, and it 's called the exercise of spiritual gifts that 's what all of 1 Corinthians 12 is all about. And if you're familiar with this letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth, you might know that Paul spent the first 11 chapters, I mean, it's like cleanup on aisle 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. (laughs) There is a lot to address. And he's moving around a lot. He's a good pastor. But you know, he gets to 12 and he pulls the handbrake. And he says, guys, we're going to park on spiritual gifts for three chapters. That should tell us something. Not just about the problems in Corinth, but about the, the ongoing importance of having a biblical vision for this thing called spiritual gifts. And so there's a significant element of correction in play here for the Corinthians. But even in bringing that correction, the, the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he lays out a biblical vision for spiritual gifts that isn't confined to Corinth. It is just as helpful for us today. And so I'm going to linger on the first probably 11 verses or so, but I wanted Suzanne to read the whole chapter because that context of the whole was really helpful. So here's the biblical vision What's up with spiritual gifts? I think of it this way. God graciously empowers every believer to glorify Christ and edify his body through the exercise of spiritual gifts. That's what's up with spiritual gifts. It's God graciously empowering every believer to glorify Christ and edify, I mean to strengthen, build up, pick your favorite word, (laughs) His body through the exercise of spiritual gifts, because Jesus loves His church, does He not? He loves His church. He He laid down His life to create and build up a people for Himself, and so without question, let's let's just get this clear, okay? Jesus is more committed to building up and sustaining and the long-term health of Kingsway than anybody else in this room, including this guy, okay? And I put a lot of blood, sweat, tears into this church. So what has Jesus done as a sign of his commitment and expression of that? He's given every believer, we'll come back to that word, every abilities and expressions of his power. Some more permanent, some more occasional, some more natural, some more remarkable to strengthen and build up his church for the glory of his name. And they're called spiritual gifts. Look at verse 7. Because they are manifestations of the spirit. The awkward, crazy uncle boogeyman of the Trinity. No! Why did I say that? Because I'm well aware that some of you are ecstatic that I'm addressing this topic this morning. You're welcome, Barb. And some of you are freaking out. You're terrified because when I use those words, you immediately go back to past experiences in your life where you have seen things or experienced things and you thought, I don't know what the Bible says, but I'm not cool with that. And then I think a lot of you are probably just indifferent. But I want to remind all of us in all those emotional places (laughs) that if King Jesus, who loves his church, has seen fit To give us a gift. Then maybe we shouldn't ignore it. Amen? Amen? Maybe he knows what he's doing. Maybe he loves his body enough to give us the resources and abilities that we need to become more like him. And so if Jesus has seen fit to give us a gift, then friends, because he doesn't make mistakes and he always knows what he's doing, we can dive into this topic with faith and joy. No matter your background, knowing that Jesus has really good things, not just for you, me, but for our whole body, okay? So let me just highlight a few of Paul's main points here, recognizing we could do a whole series on this chapter And again, I'm going to focus on verses 1 to 11, okay? So first, what do we see here? This is just a basic foundation for spiritual gifts. First, the gifts of God the Spirit are given to make much of God the Son. This is really important, all right? Because because when we think about spiritual gifts and that conversation comes up in the church, and, and when I say that, by the way, I'm not presuming any of you listening to... All of you listening to me today have been to church, right? So you may hear me using phrases and you're thinking, I don't know if I'm, should I be terrified, excited, or indifferent? I don't even know what this is. I'll get to defining them more, okay? So just hang with me. But for Christians who've been around the block for a while, this topic comes up and I usually hear these kinds of questions, right? Here's what we want to know. Exactly what are spiritual gifts and how do I know which ones I have? That's kind of where we go. Well, that is most definitely not where Paul goes, at least at the beginning. And that's worth noticing. He actually goes to the reason God gives gifts in the first place. Imagine that. And he does that by reminding the Corinthians of who they were before they came to faith in Christ. They were, look at verse 2. When you were pagans, apart from Christ, you were led astray to mute idols. So the spiritual forces and powers at work in their life did not lead them to honoring and exalting the one true God. Okay, the the evil one, Satan, and all the spiritual forces and powers aligned with him led them in a host of different ways to honor and exalt false gods. Daniel 5, 23, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see... Or hear, or no. But the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. That's every one of us. Before Jesus breaks in. <laughs> And he broke in with the Corinthians, right? Even in the mess. All all of that gloriously changed when they turned from sin to trust and obey Jesus. What happened when that happened? The Spirit of God made his home in their hearts. He camped out, as it were. And that's the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. And he brought an entirely new spiritual influence to bear in their life. It wasn't like they just switched eternal destinies. Well, when you get to the final day, now you're going to go heaven instead of hell. Congrats. No, something changed now in the spiritual realm, in them. The Spirit of God indwelt them and the Holy Spirit's calling card, if you would, Or the litmus test of his activity in their life is very clear. If you want to know, Kingsway, if you want to know if a word or a deed is a result of the activity of the Holy Spirit or the result of an activity of an evil spirit, ask this question. Does the inspired word or deed make much of Jesus or not? Look at verse 3. Why do I say that? I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Okay, in other words, wherever the spirit of God is genuinely at work, Jesus will be exalted. That's the pattern. Jesus will be honored. The activity of the spirit of God always glorifies what? The name of the Son of God. That's the pattern. And that's not surprising if we've been reading our Bible and you've heard Jesus say in John 15, 26, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will what? He will bear witness about me. Does the Holy Spirit ever draw attention to himself? No, he draws attention to Jesus. So it's as if Paul's saying to the Corinthians, guys, as we wade into this conversation, let's make something crystal clear up front. The only actions that are inspired by the Holy Spirit are actions that make much of Jesus. That's the point. If they draw attention to you or to the gift, more than the giver, something's wrong. Okay, so anything we do, friends, in the name of exercising spiritual gifts, if it does not make much of Jesus and draw attention to Jesus and turn people's eyes away from us and back to Jesus, something's not right. That's the first point, okay? It doesn't matter how inspired or spirit-led somebody claims to be. The litmus test, the calling card, has not changed. Does this word or activity make much of Jesus? No exceptions. The gifts of God the Spirit are given to make much of God the Son. Second foundational principle, the diversity of gifts reflects God's design and displays his power reflects his design, displays its, his power. So in verse four, Paul turns chapter 12 to help us understand what these spiritual gifts that make much of Jesus actually look like in the life of the church. And he makes two really important points before he jumps into a list of examples starting in verse eight. And here's the first one, okay? Under this heading, there is a tremendous variety of gifts. Look at verse four. He hasn't even launched into examples, but he's laying down foundations. There's a variety here. Now, there are varieties of gifts, varieties of service, varieties of activities. Now, sometimes people think, whoa, like that person over there is really into spiritual gifts. And what do they mean by that? Well, they mean by that, that that person often is someone who's really into more remarkable or self-evidently supernatural manifestations of the Spirit like prophecy or words of knowledge or, or speaking in tongues. Please hear me when I say this. That is not a biblical perspective to say, well, there goes a person who's really into spiritual gifts. Why? Because, you know, like, spiritual gifts it's all the it's all the crazy stuff <laughs> listen the fact that the list of gifts in verses 8 to 10 is different than the list of gifts in verses 28 to 30 which is different than the list of gifts in Romans 12 should tell us what what should it tell us is Paul contradicting himself? These are the spiritual gifts. These are the spiritual Sorry, brain freeze. These are the spiritual gifts. No, he's not doing that, okay? The fact that no two lists of gifts in Scripture are identical tells us that none of them are comprehensive or exhaustive. What are they? They're representative and illustrative. And so Paul's giving examples, combining, notice that, what some might label as altogether ordinary, gifts of faith, helping, or administrating, with what seems more supernatural, gifts of prophecy, healing, or interpretation of tongues. Now, with the exception of the gifts of the office of apostle. What was up with that? They were eyewitnesses to the risen Christ, commissioned by the Lord Jesus to write scripture. With the exception of that gift, all the spiritual gifts operative in the early church remain available for us to use today until the Lord returns. And for the sake of time, I am not going to linger on defining or elaborating all the gifts in these lists I can't do that. If you have questions, come up to me. I I simply want you to notice that there is a multitude here. There's a multitude of abilities. The spirit of God gives the people of God to make much of the son of God. So so to treat the examples of spiritual gifts in the New Testament as a fixed number and then devise all sorts of spiritual gift tests to figure out which one God gave you, what color is your parachute? <laughs> reflects more our American obsession with personality test than the logic of Scripture. That's important. There's a great diversity of gifts. Okay? What's what's the second big principle Paul lays out here? There's a diversity. What does that diversity do? Well, there's a unity in the diversity that reflects the very character of God and displays his power. So look back at verse 4. There are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. What do what those three words? Spirit, Lord, God refer to. The Trinity, right? The three persons of the Trinity. He is one God in three persons God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The, the Godhead itself, in other words, think about this, represents unity in diversity. And the spiritual gifts are no different. They all find their source in the one true God. And yet, none of the spiritual gifts are identical. So what what does that guard us against, friends? What's that guard us against? I think that guards us, this diversity, against our incessant tendency to label some gifts as more spiritual than other gifts. Okay? Is the ability to prophesy more spiritual than the ability to help? No. Is the ability to speak in tongues more spiritual than acts of mercy? No, they're not identical, but they are equally spiritual in that they are all empowered by who? The spirit of the one true God. So my heart sinks when I hear Christians talk as if anyone can clean baby toys in the nursery Or make coffee in the foyer. But you know it takes a special spiritual gift. To preach God's word or or lead worship. Or share a prophecy or something that's really spiritual. That, That is nonsense friends. That's nonsense. To think like that. Is to deny the supernatural power of God. In what appears ever so mundane and ordinary. And we need to remember that our God esteems what we disdain, right? He takes what is foolish in the eyes of the world and uses it to shame the wives. He's a God who sits high and looks low. That's how he rolls. So am I saying, some of you might be even thinking this right now, am I saying Everything we do as Christians is a spiritual gift because we can do nothing apart from God. Am I saying that? Think about it. I'm not saying that. We certainly can't do anything apart from God. That's biblical. At the same time, Paul makes clear with phrases like "to one and to another, that there is something unique about spiritual gifts that goes beyond the power the Spirit gives every Christian to love God and love our neighbor. Spiritual gifts usually manifest themselves in the form of a pronounced strength in a particular area of service or ministry. And so one Christian may be strong in one area and another Christian may be stronger in another area and that by God's design. And there's a really significant word of comfort for us in here, okay? When when God gives a spiritual gift, he doesn't just impart a capacity or ability and then say, you just got a sweet set of tools, go make something of it. No, no, he imparts Power to do the work. Power to exercise the gift. He doesn't give them and then then cut us loose. He gives them and he animates them. He gives them and he empowers them. Look at verse 11. What does Paul say? All these are empowered by one and the same spirit. Who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And so we need to guard against the not so subtle pride that would say, because I have this gift, More important in God's kingdom. (laughs) Think it, don't say it, then you'll get corrected. But you know it's true. (laughs) Or we shouldn't say what? Well, because I didn't give that get that gift. God must love them more than he loves me. We do it both ways. We have to guard against that. Friend. Don't begrudge the sovereign will of the God who knows what he's doing. Or arrogantly interpret it as an expression of his displeasure. If he has not given you a gift you desire, don't question his love. Why not? Because he has proven his love for us once and for all at the cross. Don't question his love, trust his wisdom. The evil one would love to distract you from stewarding the gifts your good father has given you by focusing all your attention on the gifts he has not given you. Don't allow him to do that. The diversity of the gifts reflects God's design and it expresses his power. Here's the final foundational principle. Number three, the purpose of the gifts is to build up the church. All right, look at verse seven. For all you high school English students out there, this is what your teacher would call your thesis statement. <laughs> to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. I want you to look at those first four words. To each is given. What what does that mean? Well, it means the same thing it does in verse 11, where Paul says what? The spirit has apportioned to each one individually. So that means spiritual gifts are not a blessing that God gives some Christians. They are a blessing God gives every Christian. That's critical. So does every Christian have the same spiritual gifts? No. Go back to point two. But does every Christian receive the manifestation of the spirit in some way? Yes. And I love that phrase, the manifestation of the spirit. That is so true. Because spiritual gifts are not about about you and I kind of trumpeting the cool powers that we have. (laughs) You know, like, yeah, so did you know uh, I'm actually one of the Avengers and yeah, in a crisis I've got moves. No, it's not like that at all, okay? Spiritual gifts are about the spirit displaying his divine power in and through our life. And so at no point are they ever about you. Get over it, okay? They're about Jesus and they're about building up his body because through that God manifests his power and glorifies his name. So what's the point of giving each Christian spiritual gifts. Why not say, like a good businessman, I'm gonna give all my resources, all my gifts, to the best employees, to the most mature people, you know, to those pastor types, and let them do serious damage for God's kingdom? Why give each Christian spiritual gifts? Well, the answer's simple, friends. It's really simple. God wants every member of the body to be involved in building up the body. Every member. Jesus loves his body and so he's, or, he's ordained for King's Way to be built up, strengthened, and brought to maturity in Christ as every member of this church uses the gifts that God has given you for the common good. And that phrase, the common good, is really important. Important too. Why? Because it's, it's easy for our pursuit and exercise of the spiritual gifts to chase after and advance functionally something altogether different. So, consider this scenario. Okay, And this isn't hypothetical, this is real. At least the first part. After the service today, we are hosting a ministry team fair in the foyer. That's for real, not hypothetical. <laughs> so, all 12 of our Sunday volunteer teams that make these weekly gatherings possible are going to be represented at tables throughout the room. So it's an opportunity for you to learn what they do, to thank them for what they do, and find out how you could get involved. So now here's the scenario. This is the hypothetical. Let's say our newest team leader, Doug Roberts, says to you, hey, we really need some help greeting people at the doors just before the service starts. It's actually called the host team, Because we do more than shake hands. We're trying to lead the charge in practicing biblical hospitality and welcoming one another as God in Christ has welcomed us, just like a good host. We need help. Or say Sarah Campbell, King's Kids Director, says, We need a volunteer in the nursery. Or say Christopher Deloglos, who's back at the soundboard, says, We need someone to coil cables after the service. Well, what is the first thing that pops into your mind? Would it be fun (laughs) for me to greet people, hold babies, or coil cables? Do I feel like doing that or not? And if the answer is no, but we don't want to say as much because that would sound selfish and lazy, what could we say instead? You're kind to ask, but that's not really my thing. I... I have other spiritual gifts. Like what? Well, I'm more of an introvert, so hospitality is out. I enjoy preaching the word of God more than holding a screaming infant, so nursery is out. And honestly, I've seen God use me more in public ways, like singing or preaching or leading worship. And I can't really do that and coil the cables. We all have different gifts, right? Wrong. (laughs) Yes, we have different gifts, but what's wrong with that scenario? Could you be an introvert? Yes. Could you have a spiritual gift of teaching or leadership? Absolutely. Might the Lord have used you in those ways throughout your entire life? Yes, I don't doubt that for a minute, but something is missing in that equation. Something really important is missing, and the fact that it's missing, friends, suggests that your understanding and practice of the spiritual gifts—if that's you—is more about you than Jesus, because you're not giving any consideration to the common good of the body at all. Now I, I can just hear the but, Matthew. Is there wisdom in channeling our limited time and resources into an area where we know we have proven abilities? Sure, absolutely. I, I spend a lot of my time as a pastor trying to identify and equip and deploy people in the right roles, okay? But, but even as we ask, hear this, Lord, what gifts have you given me? We have to ask a second question that is not one bit less important. Lord, what does this church need right now? What is the common good of this body asking for right now and that might mean serving in an area where you know you have a proven spiritual gift it might mean coming on stage and using gifts that enable you to benefit from weekly public affirmation of how gifted you are but it might not it might mean and in fact you should assume it will often mean giving more weight to what your fellow church members say the church needs than what you actually think the church needs. Luke 22, verse 26. Let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader is the one who serves. For who's greater? The one who reclines at table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table, but I am among you, as the one who serves. Friends, it breaks my heart that so much preaching and teaching and writing and conversation about spiritual gifts is all about me. What gifts has God given me? I'm looking for a church that will affirm my ministry. I know what spiritual gifts God's given me. So if you are humble and get with God's program, you will recognize those gifts and you will let me serve in those gifts. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. If who's humble? <laughs> Maybe you should take a look in the mirror. If we humbly give more weight to the common good, more attention to what other people say the church needs, and lay down our life accordingly, might we discover a new spiritual gift of helping or mercy? Mercy. Might we show up on a Sunday morning earnestly desiring to prophesy even though it is crazy uncomfortable? Might we be willing to step out in faith and pray for God to heal someone? Might we discover that the spiritual gifts are not about activities that reinforce our sense of personal competency, but rather our awareness of our own weaknesses and our absolute dependence on the power of God? Might we discover a new joy in exercising our spiritual gifts for the common good instead of our own comfort, reputation, or sense of personal fulfillment? What does verse 7 and the entire sequence of illustrations in the whole second half of this chapter say to that? Yes. 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 We honor Jesus with our spiritual gifts by diligently exercising them in a way that builds up the church even when it's hard. And if you look at verses 24 through 26, it's very clear that the whole goal, as Paul reminds the Corinthians, is to care for the body. Because spiritual gifts aren't about making you look great or feel important. They're about honoring Jesus and building up his body. If you exercise them that way, Trust me, you will experience more joy, not less. More satisfaction, not less. More of God's power, not less. More of His Spirit working in you, not not less. The the key to discovering and exercising the spiritual gifts God has given you is not looking inward and taking a test, it is looking outward and seeking the common good. I'll stop. But that's really important. Feel that. Our God graciously empowers every believer to glorify Christ and edify his body through the exercise of spiritual gifts. That means every member is essential, every gift is essential, and we should especially desire those gifts that bring spiritual help and encouragement to the Christians around us. And that's why... The gift of prophecy, for example, is directly listed as greater, some of you caught this, than the gift of tongues at the end of chapter 12. Greater? Does that backspace everything you've been saying? I know why you didn't read those verses. No, it doesn't. Look at 1 Corinthians 14, verse five. The one who prophesies is greater, no apologies, than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. What are the most significant, earnestly to be desired gifts in the Bible? They're not not the ones that only build up you. Those are gifts, and they are to be desired. But the most important gifts are the ones that build up the body and the church. What gifts the Lord sees fit to give you, friend, is his decision. Whether you are faithful to use that gift and steward that gift or opt for passive attendance around here is your decision. And I urge you, as God has given you a gift, to be faithful to use it, even when it's hard, and and to not assume that just because you have yet to receive a particular gift, God will never give you that gift, no matter how old you are. God, God doesn't tell us to earnestly desire spiritual gifts so that he can ultimately let us down in the end. He tells us to earnestly desire them because he's a generous king who loves to answer our request. So here's what we're gonna do. Before we head out to this ministry team fair together, I, I want us to sing to the Lord and offer our lives to him. So Bruce, you can... Uh, gang can come on up here. And as they get set, I want to take a moment to pray for two very specific groups of people in this church. And I'm not going to ask you to identify yourself, but I will say this. if you are in the category of, I really want the Lord to increase the spiritual gifts in my life. And I have been wanting him to do that for a long time. And with every year, I feel like I'm more and more and more on the fringe. I think the Lord wants to give you faith this morning. That he sees you. He knows the desire of your heart. And when he says earnestly desire... He's not playing games with you. He wants to care for you. And the second group are those who, if you're honest, you realize you've grown apathetic or passive in using the spiritual gifts God has given you. And and you can just feel the temptation to coast, to laziness, and you need a fresh impartation of power from God to lay down your life to build up this church. And that might mean confessing to the Lord where you used to be diligent years ago. But as you've grown older, you've grown apathetic. I want to pray for those groups, and then we're going to sing. Lord Jesus, we really need your help right now. We need your help because as good as it is to hear about your plans and purposes, there are some among us, Lord, who feel like we're on the sideline and have for decades, for years. And we watch you use other people and we think, man, I wish I could get in on that. And we start doubting your goodness. We stop asking you. Oh, Lord, would you forgive our unbelief? Meet us in our doubt. Lord, Jesus, through your spirit, pour out a gift of faith right now, we pray. And Lord, I also pray for folks who, if they're honest, have, have just grown apathetic. They, they can relate to being, I just attend, I don't participate y'all should be grateful I just showed up. (laughs) Oh, Lord. Thank you for loving us enough to not bypass us when we're apathetic or lazy, but loving us enough to actually, through your word, get our attention and say, my son, my daughter, I refuse to not use you to build up my bride. (laughs) And so for those folks, Lord, I pray for the gift of repentance and faith. Answer those requests, King Jesus. We love you. Thanks for loving us. Amen.